0: Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to the very first interview episode of my brand new podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'd like to welcome all of you to the very first interview episode of my brand new podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, If you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, well, hopefully you haven't because... I've put out five episodes of this show so far, so if you've been paying attention to this epi- this podcast from the very beginning, you should already know by now exactly what this podcast is all about. But if you haven't yet, and you're just tuning in for the first time, I'm going to briefly descri- describe to you what this show is all about. It's a music review show where I pick certain songs from the 60s and first talk about my opinion on the song, and then dive into the behind-the-scenes information on the record, which will include the writers and producers and studio musicians and recording studios and all the things that help make it become a hit. And yeah, so basically that's what the podcast is all about. I put out one a week, but today we're going to be doing something a little different because instead of me reviewing one song by one artist from the 60s, I'm actually going to be bringing in somebody and interviewing them. Someone who was there at the time. Not only was he there, but he had a decent amount of top 40 hits back then. And basically, when I bring him into the studio, he's basically going to talk about His story, how he got into the music business, and how he got his first hit record, and the -the behind-the-scenes details on that first hit record. And then he's going to share some of the stories that he has about some of the artists that he has performed with, and some of the musicians that he's worked with, and also talk about sort of his career, like how things got started for him, and when he started experiencing some change, all the way up to what what he's been up to lately right now, and... Uh, By the way, the artist I'm going to be interviewing today, he's coming into the studio. It's going to be an in-person interview, and his name is Chris Montez, and I don't know what you're thinking. Chris Montez who? I have no idea who Chris Montez is. Well... Trust me, once you listen to this episode, you'll know a lot about Chris Montez and his career, because trust me, you may not know who he is, but he has a lot of interesting footnotes about his career, and I'm going to talk about all that in today's episode. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much for you. I just want to dive right into his interview, so... He's here with me in the studio today. He's right, sitting right next to me right now. So without further ado, I'm gonna introduce you, him to you guys in the studio. And by the way, I will post YouTube links to his music if you want to check out his stuff in the description, in the description of this episode of this podcast. So if you're curious to uh, listen to some of his music, I will post YouTube links to that in the description of this podcast. But without further ado, I'd like to intru- introduce you to the first person I'm going to be interviewing for this podcast. He's none other than Chris Montez. So here I am in the studio today with the one and only Chris Montez, and a couple really cool things about him. Uh, the Beatles opened up for him in Europe in 1963. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and uh, and also uh, he went to high school with the Beach Boys, and today we're going to be talking with him about all that. So, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm
1: doing wonderful. I just got back from Australia, and I'm kind of... Uh, jet lagging, but I'm fine.
0: Uh, all right, so Chris, I'm very honored and happy to have you in my studio today because, uh, you, uh, Chris, you're a really interesting character in rock and roll history for many reasons. Uh, and we'll go over that, uh, you know, during during the course of this interview. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention to, uh, the listeners, the people that might be listening, is that I used to come into my old work at this great little guitar shop in the San Fernando Valley, called California Vintage Guitars. And I'm happy that I got a chance to meet you and talk to you when I first met you because I actually knew who you were and were familiar with some of your songs, a.k.a. your big hits like Let's Dance, when I first met you. And I was like, holy shit!
1: <laughs> I was, I, I, was,
0: I, was very, I was very starstruck. And I'm sure you were pleasantly surprised to have met someone who was such a young fan of your music.
1: Yes, I was very surprised. But you're an interesting lad yourself, and it's uh, wonderful that you know the uh, background about music and rock and roll music. That's oh, awesome. yeah.
0: So, uh, just a quick little FYI, uh, Chris, some of the people might, uh, who might be listening to this episode not, might not be super familiar with your music, but I want to give you listeners the, the basic 401 on your music. First of all, I want to say that in the 60s, you had five top forty hits, right? Right, something like that. Yeah, yeah. and and one top ten record between the years ni- in between the years nineteen sixty two and nineteen sixty six. I think that's more than both of your contemporaries, Jose Feliciano <laughs> and Trini Lopez. Yeah, I think I think you had more hits than yeah. you know than than all those people combined. You know, and I think that's that's uh and it's funny because uh, you know you were really a guiding force in Latin American community L.A. in the sixties, and you have. Uh, you toured with countless different, you know, famous players like Sam Cooke yeah. and Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, and several others. Jerry
1: Butler, all these. People. Oh shit, Jerry Butler. Yeah, Jerry Butler and Smokey Robinson. And... Wow. Yeah, sure. I got to know all those people.
0: Wow all right so um bef- uh, before we get into that let's get started with the very beginning of your uh, musical aspirations i mean how old were you when you first when when the music bug bit you and who inspired you to pursue a career in, in music
1: well uh you know my brothers all played guitar and sang but i i was brought up singing mexican ballads you know rancheras like mexican polkas oh yeah and then um i learned a few chords and and i sang with them constantly and uh and then one day I decided to make a demo record, and someone heard it, and they offered me a contract. And that's how it all began. Oh, wow. And my inspiration was Richie Valens, because he was the only oh, Latin, yeah. Latin rock and roller at the time.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's funny, because um, you know, cause Richie Valens was really the first guy to single-handedly prove in America that a Latin American could have success in the music business, when there really wasn't too many Latin Americans having really big success in the pop charts. I mean uh didn't didn't you see Richie Valens when he came to perform at your school? Tell me what it was know, like to see him.
1: It was at a at a hop, you know, a dance hall and uh Right. And it was like three hundred people and I was standing way in the back because it was sold out. Wow. Yeah. And they said, Hey, uh, Richie Vallins would be on ten minutes. Um so I didn't I went for the purpose of hearing saying that I was there at the hall. Oh yeah. Hear him sing La Bamba and Donna, so I'm standing way in the back and all of a sudden I Next to me, I turned to my right, and Richie Valens was standing next to me, and I was just completely blown away. I just wow. I said, you're Richie Valens? He said, yeah. And he shook my hands. I was so, so elated. I just didn't have enough words to, st- to express to him what what I thought about him. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, uh, I said to myself, if I ever got into music and became as popular as he I would treat people like he treated me. And, uh, you know, a lot. you have a lot of fans that want to just say hello to you. And and there's a lot of artists that don't have time for that. Right. And it's too bad. Oh, yeah. They're losing contact with humanity and and people who who have a a true feeling about them, you know.
0: Right. Wow. So he was definitely your biggest musical influence. Let's talk a little bit about your background. You grew up. In Los Angeles, in a little section of South Central L.A. called Hawthorne, the same city that the Beach Boys hail yeah, from. Right, Hawthorne, yeah, right, Hawthorne, California. Yeah.
1: And, uh, well, I was going to Hawthorne High, and, and Brian and the boys, Brian, Wilson, and Dennis, they were all going to the same high school, and I had a, Brian in a couple of my classes. And one day, uh, I used to go over there after... After school sometimes and go and uh, take my guitar, and we 'd jam over there, and Brian would be on the piano and orchestra. wow, and Dennis would be in drums, and Carl would be on rhythm guitar, and we'd just say let's uh, let's do, let's do this rock song let 's do that rock song, and we you know we'd be jamming wow, yeah, that was interesting because you never know how where life takes you and where it ends up, and i I'm I really am proud or happy that i was in, that I had the opportunity to meet all these different people wow. Yeah.
0: yeah, so I mean, not not very many people can say that they went to school with such a legendary band. I mean, who doesn't know about the Beach Boys? Who doesn't yeah. who doesn't know about their music? Yeah, yeah. But you got to know them before they became such a big band.
1: Yeah, I remember having a conversation with Brian. He says, and I said, Yeah, I got a contract too. I'm. He says, uh, We're going to call ourselves the Beach Boys. And I said to myself, The Beach Boys. I mean, I surf more than you guys do. The only one that surfed right as, as much as much as I was. Dennis. Wow. You know? So I was in the water all the time in Hermosa, Redondo Beach. In yeah. Areas. Yeah.
0: Wow. So, Chris, let's talk about your first hits, how your first hit, Silent, came about. A song that was extremely uh, well-recorded and arranged rock and roll record from 1962, Let's Dance. Tell us about how you wound up recording that song and what you remember from the recording session.
1: Well, I remember um, going into uh, the studio Ghost Star yeah. and uh, working with these these people they're called the um wrecking crew now oh yeah yeah so i remember going in there and uh, and and my producer when he when we when we were riding together and he wrote the song let's dance and i didn't really want to record let's dance i wanted to do sort of a la richie Vallon ballads and i remember going in there and i see this girl bass player and i said you got to be kidding to myself i said and i walked to her and she says, hey how you doing chris um, my name's carol k and I said, Oh i I didn't know who she was, and he wow. sang, and I said, "I said, so we're doing these songs. I said, uh, could you sort of give me that don't 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 that low bass sound like Richie Valens on his album?" So wow. Sh- and she said, "I did his album, so it was a blessing." Wow. Said, yeah. That's what I said. Well, I can't believe this.
0: Wow, yeah. You know, one thing I really like about that specific song is like right in the beginning where the, where the, where the, where the drummer Jesse Seals does this kind of like this uh this native this Native American beat the bum 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 yeah, bum, right, bum, right, bum bum right, bum bum right, that yeah. was so cool. I like that a lot. And one really cool thing about that uh record I especially love is the organ player on that part. I mean yeah. the guy kills it on that song. Wow, you know great. that was Ray Johnson actually Plas Johnson's brother wow. the organ the organ player on that record. Yeah, you
1: show you taught me something yeah right <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i mean he kills it on that song yeah, i mean he's all he's all over the place was that recorded live to like four yeah. track
1: well it was as live as it can be yeah with the group yeah, yeah exactly and, uh i remember we when we came back to do some more sessions we we label that that organ and 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 use that same organ because it has such magic to it
0: oh yeah right and you know it's funny um joel hill's actually playing guitar in that record too uh, actually
1: Uh, I don't know if he was on that one, that particular. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But anyways, um, so let's talk about, uh, what was it like when you first heard Let Sands climb onto the charts? I mean, tell me your first time hearing it on your radio and what was your initial reaction when you first found it? Uh, when you first found it ma- making on the Hot 100 charts, when you watched it climb all the way up to number four, I mean, it must have been very life-changing for you, and it must have felt like a dream come true for you. And also, tell us what was it like for you when you first heard Let's Dance on the radio, and it was a DJ and promotion guys that helped it become a big hit. Uh, I
1: think it was... Contribution of everybody, KFWB, yeah, uh, all these different radio stations. I remember I used to go f- for miles to Bakersfield just to go visit the record company. I mean, the record, uh, the radio stations, just to promote the record so they would play it and meet the disc jockey and, and be and do a courteous thing of uh, thanking them for it, you know. But as far as I, uh, I never knew. Um, uh, as far as Les Dance is concerned, it was just amazing to me because picture this i'm a young kid i'm i'm a sophomore in high school and i'm coming home every day and watching the dick clark show oh yeah right watching all these yeah fabian and all bobby right yeah and uh, you know i'm saying wow you know i used to love the show never thinking that one day two years later they say well you're doing the dick clark show and i was amazed that was one of my biggest surprises next thing i'm i know that I'm on a plane and I'm I'm heading for uh, Philadelphia to do the Dick Wow. Club. Yep.
0: Yeah, and and that and that actually brings me to the next point. You uh you perform Dick Clark's Caravan of Stars and you did in fact appear in American band but one. Uh, this leads me to the to the you know, kind of the interesting part uh, of the interview is that uh, one listener one thing we're really interesting the listeners might want to know about you is that uh, you the Beatles opened up for you in Europe when you and Tommy Rowe were the headliners yeah. and they were the opening act and I believe this was in 1963 a whole yeah, year before 60s. they even made made the dent on the Billboard Hot 100 charts and tell me why you remember about the gig and what was your first impression of the Fab Four.
1: Well, the Fad Four. I mean, we. I was. Uh, we got along great, and they. Wanted, I had a '62 Stratocaster, which I still have, and they never seen a Fender Stratocaster, and they played at it, you know. But uh, I remember the first show. Uh, they came out and start doing the rock tune, and 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 um, um, Paul McCartney starts singing the song. I'm gonna tell my mom about Uncle John. You know that. Yeah. Uh, Little Richard song. And uh, I said to myself, I'm watching them rock. I said, Wow, these guys are heavyweight rockers. Because oh I, yeah, I just got through doing the the Sam Cooks tour, you know, and I was really prepared. I, you know, I was working on my chops, and and then um, and then I saw them do this, and and it was amazing because uh, they were right in the pocket. And I and they used to sing "Love me do every night love love me do which is stuff. rang <laughs> and that's before they came to the states so uh we got to hang out a lot you know the girls all over the place and and John and Paul uh, I usually hung out with them we were always hanging out together and I remember one time they took a, we took we had a a two day um, rest day at hiatus they took off and and they came back and said "Where were you guys they said um we were we're finishing our album. You want to hear it? And I said, yeah, yeah. So, um, um, so they played, I said, Paul said, come on, let's go up to the room. We had a room up there with a record player. And he said, uh, so he put this record on and, and, and the first song I hear was, well, she was just 17. Wow. Just standing there. I couldn't Wow. And I had Paul play that about five, six times. He says, you like that song? I said, yeah. And here I get the first listening, listen to, uh, the album that which became meet the beatles wow yeah it was amazing wow yeah and um actually went to a lot of transitions um they took me and i had like six pairs of boots you know that they're and they took me to the tailor and had some nice suits made but i remember going over there and i wore these two jackets that this one person at a clothing store suggested uh right there on sunset he said these are the in jackets for europe you got to wear these so he dressed me and you know, got me prepared for the tour and when i get over there and the people kept saying where did you get that coat that's a nice coat but and i thought wow this guy sort of lied to me he said this was the end thing and they didn't even see that coat before wow but there was a reason to for it because after the tour i'm um, Paul and, and John are talking to their tailor, and I, I was saying goodbye, you know, and getting my book signed. And he said, Hey, I hope you don't mind, but we're getting our jackets uh, uh, designed like your jacket, the one you Wow. Wearing. Yeah, the collarless. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it makes me laugh because when you see Meet the Beatles, they got that collarless coat. You know? Yeah. And I still have those jackets, by the way. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow, so Chris, so since we're on the subject of touring, obviously you play with the Beatles, but you also play with Sam Cooke and Smokey Robinson and The Miracles. Tell yeah. me what was your favorite person that you liked to perform with back in the day, and which artists had a very memorable impression on you when touring? Ah, uh,
1: well, I think they were all memorable, I can't, oh yeah, yeah, I can't. They all had their own stick, you know they they had their own personality, their you know, and I learned by watching them,
0: oh yeah, you know. Yeah, tell me more about Jerry Butler, because I, you know, Jerry Butler is one of my favorite. <laughs> oh, You've yeah, uh, one of my favorite singers. I love "Never Gonna Give You Up" yeah, and well, you know, "Hey just... Western Union Man" and and I I love I love those records. Only the strong survive. And oh my god, yeah.
1: Well, I did those Black Theaters. You know, the Howard and the Apollo and all yeah. There, and I remember. At the end of the shows, these uh, Jerry Butler and somebody else, I don't know who the guys were, they were rolling dice and gambling always, you know. Yeah, I get you know, be, that was their thing, you know. And I remember last time I saw Jerry Butler, almost oh, a few years ago at a concert hall, and I said, Wow, I remember you, uh, you know, gambling always in a bag. He said, Oh, keep it calm, don't let my wife hear that. <laughs> it made me laugh. Oh, know? that's funny, yeah, yeah. Wow, so now
0: let's talk about The specific part of the career Shortly after Let's Dance came out yeah. And it was on its way The charms. You yeah. seemed like you couldn't follow up With another decent uh, Size hit single Since the last three or four singles You hit, yeah. put out well, after well, Let's, let's Dance kind
1: of fun was like Number five in England and Yeah was, I think it was like 30 something here I don't know Yeah It was the same kind of idea With organ and everything Right And then um, That was it Because the company Was falling apart Oh really Well the, the producer Was cheating And you know Stealing money and Wow things. So that's Ended that whole story You know Wow
0: Wow, yeah. I mean, back I mean, back then, someone's musical career all really depended on how many hits an artist or songwriter could have. A lot of times, if you can only have one hit song, your music career would be based around that one hit record yeah. and definitely would not be enough to get by financially. But lucky for you, you were definitely not a one hit wonder.
1: Yeah, Thank. luckily for me because when I left that Monogram Records, I decided to go study music at a college, at El Camino College. Oh, wow. And, um, and just to... Get my mind off the recording and the, the, all the traveling that I did, and it, it turned out to be a disaster, you know. Right. Disillusion. So I, so one friend of mine who was a saxophone player by the name of Bob Tate, I used to play a lot with him at places, and he was a wonderful uh, saxophone player. And he said, "I'm going to go to the studio and pick up some music that um, they don't, they can't use it, and I want you to come with me." I said, "No, I don't want to go because I, I didn't want to go be around that." come on so he jogged me around so he took me with him and all of a sudden this person comes out and says oh I can't use your music but thanks anyway Bob and and out of my friends Bob's mouth he said oh by the way this is Chris Montez and the person said are you Chris Montez a singer and I said yeah and he said um, uh, what are you doing and I said I'm, I'm going to school right now and he said uh, I sure would like to have you for my label would you be interested and I said no no I don't want to do this anymore and that was Herb Alpert. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Wow! Can you believe that? How fate works. <laughs>
0: wow! It's so interesting because yeah. I was just gonna I was just gonna lead into you yeah. with that with uh with with that with your yeah. with your first big comeback hit yeah. so, in, in nineteen in nineteen yes. late sixty five with a song yes. called Call Me. Yeah. So you know.
1: So how that evolved is, um, I said, um, so I said okay, so I came back about a couple months later, and and the staff producer, uh, says okay. Herb Alpert wants you know let's lay some tracks down so I wrote a couple of songs that were rockers and I was even playing harmonica and um uh, and uh it was three songs and um he said a week later the, the producer says uh Herb Alpert doesn't like what we did wow I said wow I said it was it was rocking for me and uh so he said um he Herb Alpert wants you to come in his office and he says he wants to uh he wants to sing your song, play your song. So I walk in there, and and Herb Alper is such a, a a wonderful person, such a great artist. Yeah. And you know, artistic, and you know, he's just a he had it together. And he said, uh, "Oh, Chris, come on, sit down." And he says, and so he gets up and starts snapping his fingers and starts singing this song called uh, <clears throat> "Call Me," which went, if you're feeling sad. Or wow. Lonely. That's what he did. He said, "If you're feeling sad and lonely," and I said to myself, "I can't sing that stuff. You know, that's for." like Sinatra, or, you know. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, those or you know the hipper Bobby Darren kind of stuff. And he said so he said, "Yeah, we got to do it and we're going to do it." And then so he rehearsed me and when I was recording, called me, uh, he was standing next to me and uh making sure the cut was groove and everything. And it, and from there it's that whole Theme of singing standards started with him.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. So I wanted to say that uh, it was such a departure from the time they were doing singles within the vein of like "Let's Dance," and I must yeah. say these were like fantastic records. They almost had kind of a nightclub like yeah. Ramsey Lewis kind of a yeah. vibe to uh, it. It's
1: funny you should say that because Herb Alpert revealed to me that he got the idea, called me from hearing uh, the record "In Crowd," the In Crowd. Yeah, Ramsey Lewis. Yeah, yeah. And I said, "Wow." Yeah, it
0: does have this kind of Ramsey yeah, Lewis kind right. of. Vibe. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And, and
1: these were all recorded at Gold Star, right? Uh yeah, recorded Gold Star well uh yeah and uh A and M. Oh really? Yes. Wow. No, it was really A and M most of it, yeah.
0: Interesting. And it's funny, um, one thing I want to say is that a lot of the players on these tracks were the same guys in the Herb Alburn team on yeah, Brass right, stuff. Right. Like mm. John Pisano on guitar, yeah. Pete Jolly on piano, yeah, right. Chuck Burkhoffer on bass, and Julius Wechter on vibes. Oh, vibes. Yeah, yeah and, and Nick Cerroli on drums. Yes, yeah. Nick Soroli
1: was heavyweight, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was interesting and was wonderful to watch these guys because sometimes I'd come in before the studio and. And these guys would be doing straight-ahead jazz. And I, mean, I was amazed. because I, well, how can they play that? What are they doing, you know? And it would be Pete Jolly and all these Tommy Tedesco. Or, uh, and also uh, Joe Pass came and did a couple of sessions. I was amazed. I said, wow. He was a, a hero of mine. I said, ah, Joe Pass. You're Joe Pass? He said, yeah. I said, wow, I'm so glad to meet you. He was kind of kind. Kind of a quiet, reserved person, you
0: know. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, so even after Call Me hit the charts in top 30 in the early 66, you managed to have three more top 40 hits. Yeah right after the intri- you know interestingly enough these were all revivals of popular standards of yeah, right. uh, the great american songbook of yeah. you know and it's i honestly feel like he did a really good job of raising awareness of this specific genre of music to the baby boomer generation you know who at the time weren't really were really focused on rock and roll and weren't really aware of the great music that came before before them aka the great american songbook how would you get exposed to listening to all this great all all these uh, these older songs from like the 30s and 40s and who were the and I uh, you said that, mentioned Herb Albert was the...
1: Yeah, well, he's the instigator. of uh, Tommy LaPuma was my producer. Yeah. And Nick DiCaro was the arranger, and he'd bring out these songs, and he'd teach these songs to me, because you got to remember, I never heard these songs. Right. So it was a whole new new, new opportunity, new challenge for me. Right. You know? And uh, it was a wonderful experience, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's funny. Um, I w- I was gonna say that uh that your the I think your version of the more I see you was was sold more records than <laughs> than the, than the thousands of other versions of that song. Yeah, you know. Right. And it's funny because uh, it also got used in a in a movie um uh the uh a Roman Perlancy movie called Frantic actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah,
1: and there was another movie called Low Places, High High Heels, and Low places. I don't know. I saw it. I was at a theater and I hear the song going, I say, well, it's the song my song. I walk in and it's this guy in a bathtub listening to the radio and it was an English movie. It's a good movie. I can't remember what it's called.
0: Yeah. And just a quick question, who you know it's funny, one of the coolest things about those records are the la 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 yeah.
1: la 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 yeah. and you know and yeah. you know who who was that? Well that was a Herb Alpert and I and a few guys in the in the group, you know Yeah yeah it was it was just uh and were and were
0: and were those songs were recorded live to four track or were some of them like multi was there like eight track
1: no no, there was uh four tracks, yeah, no eight tracks well, they had two multi four tracks you know? yeah, but yeah, it was pretty advanced for that time you know? yeah right, because remember the four tracks then were like a four inch tape, something like that, four inches were. Two yeah and a half. anyway those machines were selling for forty thousand dollars yeah right And now you can replicate that whole thing for like fifteen hundred dollars right yeah yeah, exactly. yeah yeah
0: exactly yeah um, so right after you released the more I see you and and the, and the and the decent size, uh, you know the, uh, there will be another you in time after time. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you you bit you occupied a good niche for yourself for being this Latin pop singer, reviving these popular standards and making them sound current while was selling in the sixties. Yeah. Um, Sergio Mendes in Brazil '66 did a similar thing, yeah. you know later except they covered songs that they already big hits in other countries like the UK, yeah. but not so much in America. Do you think they had any kind of influence? You had, you had any kind of influence on them? Or? I don't
1: think so. I think Sergio already had his thing together. You know? Yeah, they were already. He was a wonderful artist and arranger a and creator. Yeah, uh, and uh, no, that they had their own thing going. And it's funny you mentioned in the '60s. Here we have the British Invasion, which I just got off with with the boys. Really? Uh, yeah, and and you know when they first came out, and here call me in the March playing within that you know, genre with the sixties, you know, uh, while the Beatles were getting played heavily. So yeah, it's amazing to me that I was even on the charts. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Chris, before we wrap up the interview, I want to bring you, bring my listeners up to speed in this episode and to see what you have been up to nowadays and what you have coming up in terms of, uh, you know your career in the future because I saw that I was reading online
1: you had some kind of documentary, yeah, or something like a, a, a book, Yeah. And a documentary which is called the Path of or the, uh, what the, would well, be like the the travels of Chris Montez that's what it would be, but it's it's um that's what the book's about and then the interviews of the the video or the documentary with with myself Herb Alpert and the Beach Boys and wow I mean Brian Wilson and it's just all the, my, tell my story of when I was growing up. Wow. Yeah, that's about it, really. And then um, I'm getting ready to go back into the studio, but I'm I've been so busy on tours it it's you know it's, it's yeah been, right it's remarkable yes
0: yeah yeah. So uh, before we go, uh, why don't you uh, update us on some of your uh, on some of your uh, some upcoming shows that you've got?
1: Oh, I have no one. <laughs> I have no idea. In fact, I've just turned a few shows down because in Europe because there's too many. They want yeah. 30, 40 concerts. And yeah. I'm to the point where um, I, I like to stay home a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah
0: traveling can get really exhausting okay so uh chris i uh, want to
1: wrap this interview up by
0: saying thank you so much for coming over and doing this interview and i think the listeners if they're not super familiar with your music they will definitely know i'll get to know you a lot about you by listening to this uh episode uh this interview episode and uh you have to let me know when you're playing in la because i totally want to see you live all right you know i you know i want to and i also hope to see you with you know with some of some of those other 60s acts too like yeah. Like like yeah. Brian Hyland yeah. and you Brian, know and yeah. Dennis Dennis De- a good friend yeah mine, and De- yeah. Dennis Stefano yes, Dennis yeah. Stefano yeah right. and Jane the Americans and the Shorelles and all those really
1: yeah, yeah all those really good sixties groups guys, yes. well Sam it's been a pleasure oh thank, yeah thank you for having me and uh, I hope the uh, fans get an idea of what I'm about
0: oh yeah I think they totally will. All right, Chris. Well, thank you for having me on right. my show, thank and uh, we'll 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 ta- we'll talk soon.
1: I'll be looking forward to the new fans or fans that want to come out and see me. Oh yeah, of course. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. How about that? Chris Montez, ladies and gentlemen. And that concludes the very first interview episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I hope you guys learned something about Chris Montez and his life and his career and his music because I found it pretty interesting, didn't you? Well, if you did, you can email me at sam at hickeywilliams.com. And again, that's sam at hickeywilliams.com. I sure learned something about his career. Hopefully, you guys did too. And also, a really cool thing that I got from doing the interview that I will share on my Instagram page is that I got this really cool photo of Chris and the Beatles and Tommy Rowe when the Beatles opened up for him in Europe in 1963. It's a really cool shot. I'll post it pretty soon but it should already be up on my instagram so if you want to go check that out uh it's also signed so it's a really cool shot but anyways um if you guys want me to do more interviews you can email me at sam at hickeywilliams.com or if you found this one interesting and want me to do more just please let me know or you can dm me on instagram at i Her oldies and yeah so stay tuned for next week's episode of the podcast until next week please keep things groovy